everybody it's a blessing for me to come to you today we're going to be teaching from romans chapter 9 as you all know we are going through romans verse by verse or i would basically say paragraph by paragraph explaining different concepts and we are in romans chapter 9 romans chapter 9 talks about the election talks about concepts that is difficult to understand difficult to explain so we've got a bit of a a big task ahead of us to get through Romans 9 obviously it will take several weeks to get through it but today we're going to start by talking about uh, Paul the passion that he has for people the fact that Christ is living in him it, to the point that who and what Christ is manifests in him in a great way and then we're going to look at what is called the righteousness of God uh, in the sense of the promise that God has brought forth well, before we get into any of that, I would like to welcome everybody that is watching for the first time, as well as all those that regularly slot in. Thank you so much that I can serve you again with the good news of Jesus Christ today. Let us just pray together as we start this service. Father, I want to thank you that we can be here together. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for the love that you have towards us. And thank you that you empower me to preach this message in a clear manner so that people can know that your purpose stands by election and not by anything we do, but by you that have chosen to make us a promise and to keep your promise. Thank you that the only way that we can have access into eternal life is by you bringing it forth in us and no other way. Thank you, Father, the only way wherein we can have holiness is by you bringing it forth in us and no other way. In the very same way, the only way whereby I can preach an effective message today is by you and no other. And thank you that it will be just like that. Amen and amen. Right, we're going to start off in Romans chapter 9. And um, let us just read a couple of verses there. It says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption, the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is, for, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Now I want to just start off by just explaining verse 1 and 2 here a little bit because we quickly read over that when we read it and it says i say the truth in christ i lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the holy ghost that i have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart now just by that think of the apostle paul we think of the apostle paul as somebody that is happy all the time somebody that might be laughing and be happy and just this good christian always soft-spoken, always kind, always on top of things, never having a sad day. But here he says that I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So what he's actually saying there is that his inner man born from Christ is, uh, is, is carrying heaviness. He says that I have heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He's got heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. So 
So this guy wasn't just upset for a moment. It was something that he was carrying with him every day. There was an underlying sadness in the heart of Paul as pertaining to his kinsmen, to the Jews. Because, um, and I can just tell you this, he wasn't carrying all of this in his heart because he was a universalist. You know, if he was a universalist, he wouldn't have worried so much because he would have said, ah, you know, all these Israelites are saved anyway. You know, um, no issue if they really believe or not. <laughs> Having continual sadness and heaviness all the time, if you go to chapter 10, and we will get into that in some weeks, we will see there that he wishes for the Jewish people to be saved. So Paul was walking with a sorrow in his heart because he knew that his kinsmen are not saved. They need salvation. Uh, he was worried, and he was worried to the point. Now listen to this in verse 3 here. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for the brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So what Paul is saying here is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the concern of God that he was carrying inside his heart, the experiential knowledge that he, have on a, that he has on account of the resurrection power of Christ in him, the compassion of God that was being brought forth inside him, he was so concerned about the Jewish people that he basically showed the characteristics of Christ inside him where he was willing to give his own life to bring forth life in others. He was willing to say, basically, and this was a, a difficult way of wording to say this, but what Paul was actually saying in verse 3 when he said, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. What he was saying is that, and this is what I see there, he was bearing the very life of God himself. For Jesus Christ was willing to give his life as a sacrifice to bring forth salvation to other people. And what he was saying here uh, indirectly was that I've got a great concern, I've got a heaviness in my heart, I want my people, the Jewish people, to be saved, and what I'm carrying is a fruit of God. It is basically how God feels, and I feel it so much that I'm at the place where Jesus was, where he was willing to give his life for the salvation of his people. Now, I just want to stand still at at that a little bit you know we can quickly jump over that and look at some beautiful things that we are uh, still going to say today but there is something beautiful in this as well at the end of the day God has come to share his life with us do you know that there is no other eternal life than the life of God and the life of God is a sacrificial life of love that is the life he has. It is a life where he doesn't want to see death. It's a life where he's willing to give life, to bring life to others. It is a life where generosity has, is at the order of the day. It is a life where it is about love and bringing forth what you have in others, where you want to preserve the lives of others. This life is something that you cannot command somebody to live because should somebody could live it by themselves that person would be able to 
be a creator of God. Uh, because the only life there is that is this kind of a life is God's life and to whom God gives it. And the people that can share in this life is people that has the life of God lived towards them to the point that the life of God towards them brings forth the very same in them. So it's not something you can command somebody to do. It's not something that can be obeyed as a law. The life where you are willing to lay down your life is where your conscience, conscience is not the place inside your mind where you either feel guilty or not. Conscience there is more what you are conscious of or what you have by experience. So I think what Paul was saying here is, I'm, say, I'm speaking the truth, I am experiencing this this feeling of heaviness and continual sorrow and it is witnessed or another way, word for witness there being brought forth by the Holy Spirit and what I have experientially brought forth by the Holy Spirit and I'm telling you the truth is a great heaviness in my heart towards and I've got a continual sorrow in my heart and it is because of these friends of mine, my kinsmen, the Jewish people that are um, not experiencing the life of God. They are at a place where they say that they are the people of God because of their flesh. They are there and saying that we are the people that God has a covenant with and because of our flesh and because we are of the physical descent, descendants of Abraham, the uh, we are the blessed and it is the focus became much more on who they are than being placed on God and his ability to fulfill his promise okay so as an introduction I want to say two things it is possible for Christians to be sorrowful by the Holy Spirit on account of the uh, the the condition that other people are in when they are lost it is possible it's possible for people to be highly upset when you see people are lost or when you see people are abused or when you see people are um, deceived i've had an experience uh, like that uh, this week you know i was uh, listening to somebody preach and uh, this time, people might watch this in years from now, we are now in a lockdown time with the coronavirus and it's like a lockdown in a lot of countries in the world. You're not allowed to leave your property except for maybe going to the shop to buy some food or the pharmacy and then also for some essential services, you know, like farming and so forth. Uh, people are allowed to leave their property. And in South Africa for 21 days, we have to stay at our homes. And in this time, and this is basically true for many nations in the world, I found preachers going and preaching on how you should support their ministries financially and how you will, by doing that, be protected against the coronavirus. And I've even heard that uh, there are preachers saying, and this is absolutely absurd, they are saying that God brought the coronavirus to correct the American nation because they are, a lot of people are standing against Donald Trump. Now I want to tell you, when I just say those words, I feel a 
powerful sorrow in my heart to think that the church has come to such a low place that they would think that God, because of a man called Donald Trump, would bring forth a disease in China and kill a lot of people in China and then just sorry for the people in Europe God is now on his way to America to kill some folk and whosoever is in Europe the Italians and so they're just going to die off uh, because God has got something with the Americans let me tell you this and I want to say this in all the love that there is in my heart uh, towards the American nation America the world does not turn is not about you the world is all about God loving all people bringing life to all people and the American preachers that was preaching and is preaching now that God is bringing the coronavirus over America and killing people because they are not following a certain political view and supporting a certain president I want to say to you repent stop to preach in the name of Jesus you are not speaking the word of God and I'm not saying this in anger towards you I'm saying this with and the Holy Spirit bearing witness in me with great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart because of the damage that it is bringing to you your children, your families, and to those that follow you. For you are doing this in the name of Jesus and bringing harm to people. I've got a very good friend and he was um, uh, 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 unjustly you know, accused of, of uh, doing something. And I want to get into, into all of that. And he spent two weeks unnecessarily in jail. And you know what he said to me? He spoke to me yesterday. He said to me he liked to watch the American news a lot. And I don't want to nail American. I'm just using this as an example. He liked to watch Fox News. And I mean it could be CNN. It could be whatever. He says but when he went into jail. And he sat there. The news couldn't help him. He couldn't find any life of all the knowledge he had. About American politics. Uh, European politics. South African politics. None of it could help him. But the only thing that couldn't help him was to be reminded of some good news messages, grace messages that he heard, and thinking of the goodness and the kindness of God. That's the only thing that could help. So church, I want to say to you that by the Holy Spirit, there can be sadness in our hearts, which is not the anger of a man, but it is the sorrow that is inside the heart of God that people can bear by the Holy Spirit inside them when they see the lostness of people. The only way this world will ever experience salvation is by people believing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as they believe upon that and God bringing them salvation as a free gift, they shall be saved. There's no other way. I also in this week, you know, had saw people, you know, like I mentioned, doing telethons. Telethon, for those of you that don't know what it is, that is like a week of money begging where in you beg money from the poor and the gullible, uh, getting money from them to, to advance yourself, to do what you say is the work of God. 
And when I look at that, I look at the lostness of what is happening in the name of Jesus. And I want to just say this, with this in my heart, I'm not, I'm not sitting here with a heart of judgment, but I feel a compassion and I want to see God's people free, including the people that are preaching this. May they also be set free. But the only way that freedom will come is we, when we can realize, and we're going to get into those verses now, that nothing that comes from God, that is authentic of God, can manifest by any principles we are following. It can only manifest by, the, by God choosing to give it, and then Him promising us that, and Him keeping His promise. There is no other way. There is simply no other way. You might say, but Bertie, that, that puts me at a place where I've got to fully trust God. And if he feels to bring it forth, then I'm going to have it. And if he feels not to bring it forth, then I'm not going to have it. What surety will I then have? Well, outside of God, bring it forth, you're going to have no surety. The only thing you can be sure of is that God promises you the thing and that he will bring it forth. And one thing that God has promised us is that he will give us eternal life. That is the promise of God. And that we can believe, and that we can rest in, and that he shall bring forth. Amen. So let me just end off this first part of this message where I spoke a little bit about the politics and America and those kind of things. What I mentioned about America is true for all nations. We've got a thing today where I think we've got maybe too much information about things, and we, have, we get caught up in too much information. And the truth about America is the truth which we see in Europe, which we see in South Africa and all those kind of things. Our lives is about our presidents. Our lives is about political parties and all those kind of things. I've put it on Facebook a while back. I said that, um, you know, that uh, uh, in these last days, God has spoken unto us through CNN and BBC and uh, Fox and uh, ENCA and whatever. I didn't get a lot of likes on that Facebook post. And uh, because we don't want to hear that that is not life-giving because we have so amalgamated the, the things of this world and the politics with Christianity that the moment we say that Jesus is Lord, that we just say, oh, oh, are you saying we're not supposed to be effective in the world and so forth? What I'm saying is, should we have Jesus as Lord and we believe in the promises that he brings and it brings forth a life in us, you can be in any political party and around you, you'll find life. You can be at your business and around you, you will find life. You'll find the attributes of God, the compassion of God. You'll find a godly sorrow about the things in the world. You'll also find a godly joy about the things of the world. And you'll find the power of God flow through you as only God can bring it forth. In Him, bring it forth by His goodness. Glory to God. Church, let us not fall out of the bus in these days. Let us stay in the gospel. Let us stay in the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, enough of that. Let us continue and let us read from verse, um, verse 5. It says, talks about the Jews here and now the context, Paul being, uh, having uh, his, the, the Spirit of God basically bringing forth the very life of God wherein he also feels, this is the second point that I missed, that I want to just emphasize a bit there, that he wants to give his life to people. 
And that's exactly what happened to Jesus when he wasn't on the cross. He was basically at a point where he says, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to lose my life so that others can have life. And by believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find the fruit of Christ himself being in Paul where he is willing to even die if it, should, if it could have been possible. It wasn't possible for Paul to die and bring life to people. It is impossible. It could only happen by Jesus and by his resurrection. But Paul is basically saying, I'm feeling the very fruit and the life of God in me. Paul's life, his beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, everything about his ministry was only in one thing. He saw the resurrected Jesus and he had the hope of salvation by him being also raised from the dead. And from there we find outstanding fruit come forth in this man's life. So I want to say to you as well church that as we are in the good news of Jesus Christ you can expect the kind of fruit that was in Jesus to start to manifest in you. We can be open for that that is what the gospel will bring forth. By this I'm not saying you, mu you better go and bear the fruit that was in Jesus. That would be counterproductive and completely against the gospel. The gospel is that he first loved us. And for or on account of his love for us, we now love. It is a fruit. This is the will of God. That you bear much fruit. But the fruit is not something we must bear. Fruit bearing has got everything to do with being planted into the vine or, or engrafted into the vine and that the vine brings forth the fruit in us for, according to John, we of ourselves can do absolutely nothing. And this we see in the teachings of Paul, we see it in the teachings of John, and we now here see the fruit that is inside the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've had people ask me several times, Matthew, why do you just focus on the resurrection? What good does the resurrection have for us now? We know that we will be raised one day, but what, how does that pertain to us now? The way it pertains to us now is as we behold the glory of the immortal Jesus Christ, we are changed into the very same image as what we are beholding by the Spirit. And we now have the first payment or the, the first manifestation of the very fruit of God in our lives now by the doing of God and not our own doing. Glory to God. Okay, um, verse, verse 6, verse 5 talks about the Jews here, whose are the fathers and uh, whom as concerning the flesh Christ came forth, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now, Paul is... Um, basically bringing a very radical message here to the Jewish hearer. He is changing the way he sees genealogy. He is standing straight up against what they believe. The, the kind of things that he is saying in these verses would be seen by the Jews as a twisting of scripture, 
he would, he would, it would be seen as a wrong interpretation of what was written. It would be seen as a reinterpretation by which was not in line with how the fathers interpreted and looked at the scriptures. It would be something that would be seen by the Jews as Paul and only in the power of himself is now rewriting the Bible. That is the, the, how radical Paul is here. He is saying, uh, listen to this, L listen carefully to what he is saying. Imagine you are now speaking to a person who is a Jew who boasts in the fact that Abraham is his father. Abraham is in his He's in the lineage of Abraham. Okay. He comes and he says this. He says, The word of God has not taken no effect. What God is saying does have an effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. I imagine you say that. Not all Israelites are Israelites. Now in the context and in the setting of that time, that is absolute blasphemy. That is against God. You are basically saying that God's very nation is an adulterous nation and that uh, you, you can basically accuse God of sleeping around because God has got some good children, some bad children, but they're all of the same nation. All pure Israelites, but all that are of Israel aren't Israelites. Very, very bad thing to say. That's what he says. And then he goes on, he says, okay, maybe you think the nation has failed in some way, but I am still a son of Abraham. He says, neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children. So he's saying, listen, man, the fact that you are a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're a child of God. My goodness, in that time, that would have been reason to be killed. It would be reason to be killed. It would be like going and standing, uh, um, you know, going to a, a political party and then when your leader comes up, you stand up in front of everybody and start to shout and say all bad things about that person and, you know, that he's not the right one or whatever. You'll be quickly kicked out by the security. And because now we, a lot of countries are in democracy, you know, they're not going to kill you there. But back then, you can die. And this is the kind of things that Paul was saying. He was radically saying, listen, the word of God that doesn't, didn't, is not without an effect because of these Jews that I am now crying about, which I think am lost and so forth. The word of God continues because we thought that all of Israel are Israelites, but it's not true. And just for those of you who think that, okay, maybe the Israelites missed it somewhere, but I'm of the physical lineage of Abraham, let me tell you something, all of the children of Abraham aren't children as well. And that is something. And now he comes and he reinterprets, or I would believe accurately interpret, what the scripture is saying. He says, that is, um, sorry verse 7 neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children but in Isaac shall your seed be called that is they which are the children of the flesh these are not the children of God but the children of the promise are counted for the seed okay 
So how is he interpreting this passage? Paul goes and he says that when God made a promise to Abraham and his seed, it had nothing to do with physical descent. What he is saying is, you, need to in, you, you should interpret that passage in a different way. The accurate interpretation of that passage is that God made, the, the people, or that the people of God are those to whom he made the promise. Because, let's read verse 8 again, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. So what is he saying? He said, the promise has got, or, or uh, um, being a child of God has got nothing to do with being of the physical descendants of Abraham, physical descendants, got everything to do with God making a promise and God keeping his promise. So how do you know if you're a child of God? It is, did God make you a promise and are you believing the promise? Because in the promise, you are defined as a child of God or not. It's all about God making a promise and God keeping his promise. It all started with a promise. Titus says it so clearly. And we can go and read that. Um, it all started with a promise. It's got a promise from the beginning to the end. Titus 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is in godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So before the world began, God had a promise. So that whosoever the promise is made unto can be by promise the children of God or by being part of the promise. So who are the children of God? The children of God are those unto whom God has made a promise. Who are those? All people. All people. Yet in the, in the midst of the promise being made to all people, there's a people amongst the all people that the promise is not made unto. And that is, the promise is made unto those that want to believe the promise. It is not, God has not promised eternal life unto those that live by their own works. So God makes a promise to all people. He says to everybody, listen, I have chosen the whole world to be my children. But I want to tell the whole world, those who want to be children of your own power, you cannot be born from me. You can only be born from yourself. So can you see that the promise is towards all, but in this all, you can separate yourself from it by wanting to be children of God by the flesh or by your own works. So what God is saying here, what Paul is saying here clearly, and he started this in chapter 1. And he builds chapter upon chapter, repeating himself all the time. And he comes to a point where he basically says, listen, the promise is unto all, but it's not by your works. It is by God keeping his promise and no other way. And you can only have holiness by God fulfilling his promise in you. You can only have righteousness by God being merciful to you. If God has said, I will have mercy on whosoever I want to have mercy, 
And he decides to have mercy on the one who does not live by his own works. How's that unrighteous? No, it's righteous if he then blesses those who by the law don't qualify to be blessed. It's righteous. It's right before the eyes of God. For he has chosen that he shall bless us by his doing. So if God has chosen to bless us by his doing, let us therefore say, we shall be children of God by promise. Meaning the promise fulfilled makes me his child. If God is holy and he has promised me that he will give me his life, how will I look like him outside of God keeping his promise to me? There will be no way. I cannot be. And this is what Paul is now nailing down on the fleshly system and the Jewish system here. And he's basically saying we have had it wrong. The children of God are not the people that's of physical descent. The children of God are the children of promise. For it was said that God made a promise. The promise was that Isaac will be born. That means it's not even in physical Isaac. It is in God making a promise and God choosing that it would be that way. And it was that way. And it continues. He even says, and this is even going on to Rebecca here. He says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, saying, Isaac was the son of a promise, and, it, and when Rebekah conceived of the son of a promise, it didn't now become a physical lineage thing. There already he also said, and for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose according to, purpose of God according to election might stand and not of works but of him that calls it was said unto her the elder shall serve the younger so Rebecca had twins and God made a promise again and he said the elder shall serve the younger and he chose before they could do any works this is what the scripture says. It says, For the children being not yet born, ne neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, and not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, <laughs> that's also a very good explanation of that verse. The verse wherein it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, is not a verse describing hatred towards Esau. It's describing God who by election, contrary to the system of the world and man's ways, by his doing, choose, he chose to bring forth life in somebody who does not, according to the system, deserve it, so that the only life that Jacob could have, the only right he could have unto being something, is by God promising him it, and then God fulfilling it. So Paul reads the passage where it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and he does not say, oh yeah, you see, God hated Esau. No, he says that passage correctly interpreted is actually showing forth that the only way we all can have life is by God making a promise and keeping a promise. The sons who are sons of the promise, 
They are the sons of God, not the physical lineage of Abraham, neither a certain nation, but those who can be born of the promise. This God is saying through Paul to Israelites. So the very Israelites that are not believing, who are in their physical descent, not the children of God, Paul is bearing inside his heart the concern of God about them in the hope that they can now also believe the promise and be born from the promise so that nobody is excluded, be it Jew or Gentile. I hope you can see the manifold wisdom of the Almighty God, how He is a good God that loves. Let's end off with just reading two verses and next week we'll continue with this. It says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. <laughs> Glory to God. We can end it off this way. Being sons of God's mercy is being true children of God. If you can look at your life and you can say, this is by the mercy of God, not me following principles, not me manipulating anybody, not me working things in a certain way to get God to do something, but by God simply being merciful, you can truly know your life is born from God. You can call yourself a child of God. And that's why Paul says in chapter 8, he says, we have the hope of the resurrection. We believe that we will be bodily raised from the dead and bodily never die. And even if we die, we shall be restored. This earth is the inheritance. We will inherit the earth. The, the meek shall inherit the earth. Paul believes it with all his heart. And he knows it is impossible to attain by our own works or our own doing. And he says it can only be by this hope that I have in him bringing it forth, being fulfilled by him. Therefore, from my heart, I can say, Abba, Father, I am brought forth by the life of God and nothing else. Glory to God. Church, we are loved by God. Let us be consumed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us be consumed by the resurrection power of God. And not politics, neither viruses, neither conspiracy theories, none of these things. Let our minds be flooded with God. Let our eyes be upon Christ, who is our life. Let us lift our eyes, not to the podiums from where our political leaders speak, but let us lift our eyes higher than that. Let us lift our eyes to Christ, who is our life, who, when He will return, we will find that we will look like Him. He is our hope. doesn't matter how much unrighteousness is going around in the world. My life is born and your life is born from 
God keeping his promise. So let us see what his promise is. It's eternal life. Let us see how he kept it in Jesus. And let us see how he's already poured the spirit of Christ out on us from where we now have a life where we can co-share in the life that Paul has, where he has compassion on people, where he's got love towards people, where generosity breaks forth, where kindness breaks forth, wherein we're sharing in the life of God. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your life. Thank you that we can speak in the name of Jesus and that we can be unashamed of the resurrection power of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings forth all life. Thank you that it is not of us who run or of us who will, but of you that show mercy. And thank you that we can call you righteous should you be merciful. And we would be able to call you unrighteous if you are not merciful. For you have said you shall have mercy. And by seeing your mercy, we see your righteousness. Thank you that we can be born from you. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with this message that might be challenging to some of you. It might be thought-provoking. Thank you for allowing me to serve you with this. And I will continue to preach from Romans chapter 9 next week. Remember, God always loves you and is a merciful high priest, knowing how to give you life. Amen.